0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, we're going to go to uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. It's been our overarching verse. We've been studying the miracles of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus through the gospel. And today, I think we're going to see one of the greatest miracles. Better than water into wine, though that's impressive. Better than a lame man walking for the first time? That's incredible. Or a blind man getting some mud on his eyes and being able to see? Amazing. But these are written that you may believe, all of these miracles, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, come on, you may have life in his name. Life in his name. Now something that I want you to think about is the bible was written by failures if you've ever failed you're in good company abraham the father of the father of the father abraham the father let me it starts with an f and ends with ath faith <laughs> the father of faith the hero of faith and he went through a time where god had promised to him that he was going to have more kids than sand on the seashore. Now, he looked at his wife, Sarah. You remember the story, right? Abraham and Sarah. And he said, Lord God, she's not as foxy as she used to be. And in the prime of her life, she was barren, couldn't have kids. And so rather than believing that God would do a miracle through Sarah, his wife, he went and took the maid, Hagar, And had a child named Ishmael. Good. You were there that day in Sunday school. Ishmael. And Ishmael really is called the son of doubt, not the son of promise. See, we can get in the way of God and pretend that we know more than he does. And yet Abraham is still called the father of faith. Think about King David. David, uh, Goliath, the five smooth stones. David, uh, let's see... uh, He killed the lion and the bear with his bare hands, David, King David. But David also had an adulterous affair with a woman and had her husband, who was a friend of his, killed. That's some pretty big stuff. And then you think about the prophet Elijah, who had an emotional breakdown and what we would call a burnout in his life. But it wasn't long after that that God reinstated him and gave him new power, and he called down fire from on high. And all the prophets of Baal were like blown away as God sent down fire. Though fire had gone out in Elijah, he was restored and rekindled. We think about the apostle Paul. I mean, they had built cathedrals to him and even canonized him as Saint Paul. Paul used to kill Christians for lunch before he got saved and came to know Christ on the Damascus Road by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there was these guys in a motorcycle gang called the Sons of Thunder, James and John. They were rabble rousers. They had a punk band. They had Mohawks. They used to go out and play their rocks and ukuleles, you know. And God used James and John to be men of peace and grace. But why would I go through that? Because the Bible is famous with failures. Failure upon failure. I don't think there's a greater failure in the Bible, however, than Peter. St. Peter's Basilica. St. Peter's Cathedral. St. Peter's Statues. St. Peter! And Peter was somebody who said, Lord, I will never, ever deny you. And then how many times? Three times he denied the Lord. So let me take you to Mark's gospel before we go to John's gospel. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. It's up on the screen. You can open your Bibles to Mark 14. And it says this, You will fall away, Jesus told them. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. This is exactly what Jesus is going to do later on. And Peter declared, Even if all... All of these disciples, all of these followers fall away. I I won't do it, Lord. And he pulled his chest out. He stood there with his fists in the air. He said, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you over my dead body, he says, I will never And by the way, the word never in the Greek doesn't just imply that moment, but it implies for the rest of Peter's life. I will never, ever, never, never, ever, never, ever, never, never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. Us too, Lord, you can count on us. Mm. And then when the Romans arrested Jesus, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Verse 53 and 54 of Mark 14 they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together, and Peter followed him at a, at a distance. Now, he wasn't shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. I'm at a distance, right in the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards, and this is important. He warmed himself at the fire. Whose fire? The fire of the guards. What guards? The guards who were connected to the soldiers, who were connected to the crucifiers, who would kill Jesus Christ. He was warming himself by the fire, and something happened in verse 66 when he was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls comes by, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked into his face closely. Hey, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus, he said, but he denied it. Hey, little girl, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a cold night, but I don't know anything about this Jesus. He's lies to a kid. Come on. And he said, and he went out into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely... You are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he cussed them out. He swore at them. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he, come on, there you go. And he broke down. Do You understand that? We ever broken down and wept? Lord, you, you can count on me. Yeah, the next time you whisper to me about sharing my faith, you can count on me, Lord. Hey, Lord, I'll never lie. I'll never deny you. I'll never cheat. I'll never steal. I'll never smoke, chew, or go with those who do. Come on. Lord, you can count on me. I'll keep my thoughts right. I'll keep my heart right. I won't speak a hurtful or hateful word to anybody, Lord. You can... And we broke down and we wept. I love what Ecclesiastes 7.20 says. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Paul said it this way in, in Romans. He said, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hey, Pastor B, I thought you said you were going to talk to us about a miracle. Yeah, the miracle is how Jesus Christ, who dies on a cross, says it is finished, and how this same Savior reinstates Peter and forgives him. And even though Peter said, I will go with you all the way to the cross, even my own death. Well, verse six and seven of Mark 16 says, don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. This is the angel at the tomb. See, Friday is the crucifixion. Saturday is a very silent day. It's actually called Silent Saturday. But here on Sunday. Jesus comes to life again. And the angel says, Don't worry, he is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him, past tense. But go tell his disciples and and Peter. Wow. All of heaven caused this angel to actually say Peter's name. Just think about that. All of heaven wanted to make sure that even Peter knew that just a few days before, he's denying his relationship with Jesus. But now the angel said, Peter, I'm singling you out. I'm calling you out in a good way. God and all of heaven wants you to know that the heart of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, is that you could be forgiven no matter what you've done. Now remember, Jesus told them to leave their nets and to follow him. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And remember in John 20, when Jesus came through the locked room, he told them, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So now the disciples have left Jerusalem for Galilee. It's an 80-mile journey. They've gone 80 miles now. And in John 21, we pick up the story. Peter says... "Um, Let me paraphrase. We're not going to go do the Lord's work. We we know that he died and and we know that he rose again. He appeared to us twice. Thomas actually put his fingers in his nail prints. He put his hand in his side that was pierced by the spear. This Savior has called us to do the Father's work, he he breathed on us and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Not only am I calling you, I'm enabling you, I'm empowering you to do my work. And what do they do? They default back to what they know. Fishermen, leave your nets, follow me. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they all said, we'll go, where? With you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nothing. And early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, hey, hey, friends, friends, you guys got any fish? Nothing worse for a fisherman to be asked if you got any fish. I mean, nothing when you've caught nothing. Years ago, I got to tell you this story, I just got to tell you, I took my grandson, Peyton, the Lake Kachuma fishing, that's back in the day when it was like 2% water. We had to trudge through the mud to actually find a spot to cast our line, and we, he casted out his Mickey pole with the little bobble. It was so cool. Had some worms on it. It was hot. It was a hot day on Kachuma Lake. And all of a sudden, zzz, 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 that wonderful sound to a fisherman with the rod and the reel. He said, Grandpa, I think I got something. I said, let's work it. I wasn't sure. We caught this big, st- I mean, we, I'm not, this is not a fish story. We caught this big bass, largemouth bass, just at the time this boat was coming in with fish finders and trolling motors and $1,000 rods and reels. And I said it to them, hey, you guys catch anything? <laughs> to which they said no, to which little pain started reeling, the fish, and the fish started flopping Splashing water? I said, yeah, we, we, we got a bunch over here. We got one fish. You should have seen those guys high tailing out of that little cove, man. They wanted nothing to do with us. We caught a big old bass. I still got the video to show you that bass was splashing. It was, it was just great. What an experience for us. But the last thing you want to ask is a guy with a $30,000 fishing boat with $10,000 worth of gear. You got anything? And some kid with a Mickey pole... And a bobble and a half a worm because the first part of the worm got eaten just out there, you know. Somebody said, Well, did you have a saran? Did you, in, you know, inject air into the worm? No, we just put worm on it. I was ready to go. I was tired. I didn't want to stand out there anymore fishing. And we caught that fish. And here's Jesus. These guys are fishermen since they were kids. Jesus was a carpenter. And he tells them where to cast their nets friends, have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large amount of fish. Can I remind you, whatever your career is, can I remind you parents? Can I remind you grandparents? Can I remind you retired people? Can I remind you single people who are trying to remain pure? And live for God. Can can, can I remind you that Jesus knows more about what you do than you? He knows more about running a unit on the base or working at the prison or working in the store, being a mechanic. He knows more about being being a, a person who follows after the heart of God. He knows more about parenting and grandparenting. He knows more about finances and wisdom and truth and life and how we love each other than you do. And the disciples had to remember a little deja vu here, because the first time Jesus met them, they were fishing. He preached all morning. They fished all night. They caught nothing. And he said to them, hey, cast your nets over here. They probably remembered that. See, Jesus moves with compassion. I know your note takers have been waiting. Jesus moves with compassion and care, and not to chastise the disciples for deserting him. See, I think some of us have this skewed version of Jesus that he comes up to them and says, hey, you got any fish? No. Well, neater, neater, neater. Peter's on your boat. You denied me. You're supposed to be going out and preaching the gospel to all the world. As the Father sent me, I sent you. And what are you doing? You're out there on the lake catching no fish. No, no. Jesus comes with grace and he blesses them to remind them of who he is and to remind us today as we are about to embrace on a brand new decade just around the corner from us. To be able to say, Lord, you know more about my life, my family, my marriage, my relationships, my career, my singleness, my finances, my retirement, my college. You know more about everything that I'm involved in than I ever will. See, Jesus cares more for what we care about than we care about it. He loves your kids more than you do. Hello. Hello. And some mom show me, oh, look at my kids, my kids, my my." actually, ma'am, they belong to God. Sorry. You just have to pay for them, but (laughs) Jesus loves your kids more than you do. It's impossible. No, it's not. Because he loves you more than you love yourself. That was good. So John 21, verse 7 to 9. Then the disciples with whom (laughs) the disciple with whom Jesus loved. You remember John? I'm chuckling because John is the He's writing about himself. The one who Jesus loved, that's me, (laughs) said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. I think he jumped into the water because he wanted to walk on water again. Remember, he walked on water before. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, and they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, how many of you, um, before I say this, I have to clarify, are barbecuers, and I'm not talking about propane. I'm talking about red oak wood or mesquite. Come on. You know who you are. Every once in a while, you get that. You, 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 you feel one with nature, right? Uh, the real guys and gals, excuse me, use a little paper and kindling, but some of you like to use that squirty stuff and, you, <laughs> and the fire flares up, right? Well, here's what you know. If if you have a fire pit or you have a a real wood-burning fireplace or a real uh, wood-burning barbecue, you understand that coals are not instantaneous. It takes a while for the wood to go down. And the first service, that lady was talking about salmon. And I said, you're going to put the salmon over the coals. You don't want to put the salmon over the hot flame that's flying up about this high. You know, some people like that and it's charbroiled and it's, you know, petrified before you even know it's, it's like cremated, you know, you don't want that. So the coal, you know about s'more coals, s'mores, or, or, or just put the marshmallow in there and it's golden. It's the coals, man. So the reason I took time to tell you that, Jesus had been there a while because now he has burning coals with fish on it and he has bread. Now the beauty of this is the beauty of this is they remembered when they had fish and bread before that they fed five thousand. See, everything Jesus is doing here is connected to his past ministry with them and for them. But here's the key: this is so great. Jesus has set up the morning meal, and it's called breakfast. It's not a protein shake. It's not a Cliff Bar. Huh? It's not a piece of fruit. This is a real breakfast, sorry, because Jesus said to them, come, come on, and have breakfast. Isn't that odd? Come and have breakfast with me. Now, can I tell you, while Jesus is having breakfast with Peter and the other deniers, all of heaven is waiting for him to ascend and come back to heaven. They want to have a party for the victorious Savior. They have the confetti ready, the marching bands ready, the drum sections ready, the trumpeters are ready. They want to worship and bow down before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But before he ascends, he wants to make sure he has breakfast. Doesn't that seem a little insignificant in the whole realm of things, the kingdom of God? And why does he want to have breakfast? Well, None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. Mm. Last supper, he broke bread with them, mm. feeding the multitude. And he did the same with the fish. And now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. No rebuke, no criticism no chastisement. I confessed to you a few weeks ago, if I was Jesus, I would have got him in a headlock, gave him a little noogie and a wedgie and said, what did you guys do? You denied me. Peter, you swore over your dead body. Thanks a lot for swearing, Peter. You're not that good after all. I want you all guys to figure out you're going to do penance now. You're going to Pray a certain way. I'm going to give you some beads. You're going to pray with the beads. I mean, you're going to do all, you're going to light candles for me. You're going to serve me. Get down and give me 100 push ups. I mean, come on. Jesus comes and says, No, can we sit and have breakfast? Can we start our day together, our future together? And then Jesus comes because he desires honest conversation. Remember, God cannot heal the fake you, the persona that you give to others. When you're alone with Jesus, man, come clean with him. Be honest with him because he wants to be honest with you. And the first question he really is going to ask in verse 15 to 19, when they would finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, if you do study, do you love me more than these? Here's, Here's what you'll find out. Some scholars believe, you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the rest of these people standing here? Is your love for me higher than their love for me? Some people believe because of finances and income, do you love me more than all of these fish that you can take to market and make big money on these fish? Do you love me more than, 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 than these moments? Do you love me more than what's in front of you? Do you love me more than... Huh. And Peter replies, yes, Lord... You know I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter now is hurt and offended. Poor Peter. His little lip was sticking out as he was pouting. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. No, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, wait a minute. I denied you three times, and three times you asked me if I love you. By oh, can, can I tell you something? If you really fall in love with Jesus, and you fall in love with his word, let, let me just tell you, he's going to ask you to do something. you love me? Yeah, I love that I'm saved, Lord. Bless me, Lord, real good. Nah. he's going to say, if you love me, feed my lambs. He starts with the little ones first. Not the big one, not the big sheep, the little little lamb. He, he, he starts with the lambs, those that are little, those who maybe can't take care of themselves. He starts with the lambs, those that are maybe young in Christ. They're not sure about their way. They just latched on to Jesus for the first time. They opened their heart to him. They, they confessed him as Lord and Savior, and they're like little, little lambs. They're not sheep yet. They're not mature in their faith. If you love me, take care of them. But actually, in the, the Greek text, it's more than just feed them. It's you be a shepherd to them. In other words, don't you rely, rely on people that have like clergy degrees. Let the clergy be the shepherds. No, no. He's telling the body of Christ, we're to shepherd each other. We're to look out for the safety of each other. We're to look out for how we treat each other. We're to make sure that the, the lambs are well served. That's why we love our kids around here, and we invest a lot of time, space, energy, and even staff into our kids' ministries. Why? Because we want to reach them before we have to rescue them. You know what that is. We want to reach young people before we have to rescue young people. We want to help them find their way to Christ. We want to invest in them. We want to make sure that we shepherd each other well. If you see a brother or a sister about to go off the cliff or go off the edge, we just say, uh Galatians tells us, you who are spiritual, restore them. Don't you let them fall. If you see a young lady and you see some guy coming around her, he's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. You need to go over there with a big old warning sign and say, honey, look out for that dude. Because he's up to no good. And some of you older ladies could say, ah, I I know. I know what I can see. I can smell one of those guys a mile away. Well, then if you smell him around here, right? You go you, you up to that young lady. hey, honey, let me take you out to, to lunch today. <laughs> Pull her away from the guy. <laughs> you might go, oh, pastor, why would you meddle like that? Because a lot of young ladies have fallen into the stories of men because men, come on, guys, help me out a little bit. Because some, some guys, you know, they're hunters. That's what they were born to do, born to hunt. And once they hunt and they capture that woman, then they let her go and uh, they go capture another one, and we're hunters by trade. Sorry, that's what we are. And sometimes sometimes our sisters are a little gullible. Sorry, and somebody's going, well, he should just be preaching now. I am. (laughs) Because you know who ends up calling me? The girls and the guys who've gone the wrong way. And why do I know this? Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned to our own way. But the Lord comes to shepherd us and bring us in. And God's given us an assignment as a church right here to love and the shepherd. So what does Jesus do with Peter? What does he tell Peter? Well, here's what he says. He says, you, I, I, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care, be a shepherd. Do you love me? And then Jesus said, hey, very truly, I tell you, when you're younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted But when you were older, when you get older, you'll stretch out your arms. Someone else will dress you, and they'll take you from place to place. Peter, someday you're going to get older. And someday, Peter, you're going to die. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And many of us know that Peter was martyred. And some people believe, some historians believe, that Peter told those who were crucifying him, crucify me upside down. Because I don't deserve to be crucified like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there'll be a day that your life will glorify me. But until then, he said to him, follow. Come on, follow me. Three things that Jesus does. These are three R's. The first thing he does is he reveals the future to Peter. I think if God could speak to us, he would reveal our futures to us. To say, listen, you want to stay close to me. The second thing is, he removes the guilt and the shame. By the way, if God has removed the guilt and shame from somebody, don't you dare try to be their personal Holy Spirit and hold on to that guilt and shame. Well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never let you forget it. Good morning. That's not grace. That's called bondage. Yeah. And I know some people like that. Well, it was three years ago you did this. I've forgiven you, but oh, I'm gonna make sure you never forget it. That's not forgiveness, that's holding a grudge. So, if God has forgiven, we need to let the guilt and shame be removed from us, and we need to make sure, as good shepherds, we remove the guilt and shame from our family, from ourselves, from our relationship. And lastly, He restores a relationship. So, He reveals, He removes, and He restores. That's what Jesus does. What's the greatest miracle? It's not water into wine. The greatest miracle of all time is when we come to Christ and He sets us free from our past. He takes our lives and makes us wider than the snow. See, unresolved guilt can cause us to reject God, or worse, to believe that God rejects us. I mean, let me just camp here for a moment. Unresolved guilt—you did it three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago—and you still hold on to the guilt from it. There are things in my past I'm not happy about. I would not put them on the screen, by the way, this morning. Some of you might say, inquiring minds want to know, but I'm not putting them up here. No way. And every once in a while, the past can raise its ugly head, can it? And the devil can say, see, you're not really saved. God really hasn't forgiven you. Look at, remember what you did? Rather saying, Lord, I'm going to let the guilt that I have be attached to the cross. I, I sat with a man a few years ago. He does some pretty bad stuff. Matter of fact, he said, Pastor, you might have to brace yourself. I'm going to tell you about stuff I did. I said, first of all, I don't need to hear it. And second of all, I'm shockproof. you your shockproof? I said, yeah, I've been in ministry like over 40 years. I'm also a chaplain with the police and fire department. I've seen stuff. I've heard stuff. You can't tell me anything that I've not heard before. And he started telling me, and I said, yeah, heard that, heard that one too, heard that one too. I said, why don't you stop telling me because I'm not Jesus. He says, yeah, but I was raised, and we had to make confession. I said, yeah, I'll tell you exactly where you go. You could write this reference down, 1 John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, Jesus, he's just and able to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So years ago, my Italian friend over here, she'll, she'll like this story. I was 15, and I went and spent a summer in Italy, long time ago. My English was really good. My Italian, not so good. But my uncle was a baker, and he used to deliver bread to the convent, where all the kids were. And I remember meeting the nun, the head nun. I called her sister Betrill. If you're old enough, you might remember that. And my uncle, he had pockets full of candy. What a great guy, generous soul. And so I began to talk to the nun in the best Italian I could. I said, what what do you do with your sins? She looked startled at me, declaring a nun might actually be a sinner. I said, well, all of sin has fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, I got it, What do you do with your sin? Well, we, we tell them to the mother superior, and we then go once a week and confess them to the priest. Now, remember, I'm 15. I'm saved one year. Jewish kid gets saved at 14. I'm 15. I'm saved one year, and I said to her, what does the priest do with your sin? He said, he confesses them to God. And I said, with deep theology, what if he forgets? He has a lot of people talking to him. And she scratched her head. She said, I don't know. So as we delivered more baskets of bread, I said to her, in the best broken Italian I could find, I said, what if you just cut out the middle man and go right to Jesus? Because I could look inside the building, and they have the crucifix in there. He's hanging on the cross. I said, he died on the cross for our sins. You should go right to him. She scratched her head. And she said something to my uncle like, this kid, he's really smart. <laughs> By the way, she was right. You just don't fully believe it. <laughs> Folks, we, we don't need a middleman. We don't need a middle woman. We just need to go right in the presence of God and say, Lord, I have sinned. That's why Psalm 51, 17 tells you this is the sacrifice God wants. Not somebody holding it over your head. Not somebody saying you've got to do penance and work. The sacrifice God wants is a what? Broken and contrite spirit. God will not reject a humble and repentant heart. If you come with humility and say, "God, I blew it." He goes, "Yeah, I know. I saw you." "God, I thought that thought." Yeah, I know. I know your thoughts. "Lord, I spoke that hurtful hateful word." Yeah, I heard it. All the angels cringe when you said it, but we're ready to give you forgiveness. Remember that gentleman wanted me to, con- wanted to confess his sins to me, and at the end he said, you know what? I've done so much stuff, I don't believe Jesus could forgive me. And I said what I said to you a few weeks ago. When he's on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. In other words, you can't add to this. You can't subtract from this. There's nothing to difficult for me. There's nothing too hard for me to forgive. Yeah, but you don't know what I did, said the guy. I don't want to know. I've heard enough from you already. Do you want to stand there, though, and look up to heaven and say, Father, you sent your son Jesus, but it wasn't good enough. Hey, Jesus, you died on the cross. You died for me on the cross, but it wasn't enough. You didn't do enough for me. You should have died better, Lord. You should have shed more blood. I mean, who wants to be the one to stand up and do that? I said, sir, you can go ahead and look at heaven and say, Jesus, it wasn't good enough. But when you say it, I don't want to be in the same room as you. Because if lightning strikes, I don't want to be anywhere near it. Folks, let me just tell you. As somebody who's been saved a long time, somebody who's been around the block a few times, somebody who's heard it all, who's totally shockproof, there is nothing that's gone too far that God cannot redeem. And when you ask God to forgive you, number one, He forgives you instantly, and number two, He forgives you freely. He forgives you instantly, and He forgives you freely. Boom! He makes you whiter than the snow. He doesn't hang it over your head. He doesn't it's like some kind of little dog. You got to jump high. Oh, jump higher. No, Jesus says, I want to apply the blood of the cross to your life. I want to apply the resurrection of myself to your life. And then he forgives us, and I love this one completely. Whom the Son sets free. Free. Boy, if I was a preacher, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He wipes your sin absolutely clean. And if you're mired in guilt and shame, you'll likely perpetuate whatever problem you have. You'll tell yourself that you'll blow it again because you're so bad. You'll sabotage your future while you hold on to guilt and shame rather than saying, God, I give it all to you. I take everything that I've ever done and give it all to you. The angel comes down and says, you go and tell the disciples and Peter. You can put your name in there. Go tell the world and, and make sure Bernie knows. Make sure Randy knows. Make sure Carl knows. Make sure Lisa knows and Susie knows. Make sure they know. Make sure that they know I died for them. I I rose again from the dead for them. I want to close with a, a quick story. It goes all the way back to the 70s. Some of you remember the 70s. Some of you were there but don't remember the 70s. Hubert Humphrey was the former vice president of the United States. And by the way, I'm about to share a, a little political story. It has nothing to do with today's politics or what's going on in our country. So no emails, please. Thank you very much. Hubert Humphrey was the former vice president. He spent 30 years as a U.S. senator. And then, after his time as a vice president, he went back and did another stint as U.S. senator. 1976, Christmas Eve, he's laying in a sickbed knowing that his death is imminent. He would die a couple weeks later. And so he began to call everybody that he worked with, those in the the state, those in our government, those overseas, leaders from foreign countries where he had connection. He, He began to say his goodbyes. And so it was Christmas Eve, he called a man by the name of Richard Milhouse Nixon. Now, if you know your history, you know that Nixon was booted out of the White House, something called Watergate. And if you don't know your history, I encourage you, younger people, look it up. It was not a bright time in America at all. But on that night of Christmas Eve, Hubert Humphrey called the Nixons in San Clemente and he knew, as he was talking to them, that they were very depressed, and he heard that they were both very ill. And so he said, "I have a request of you, Richard. Now you have to understand that when Humphrey and Nixon ran for the presidential seat, that Nixon beat Humphrey by a landslide. So they were adversaries. But now, on this night, on this sick bed, Richard... Nixon would get a call from Hubert H. Humphrey, Christmas Eve, saying, it won't be long now. My casket will be in the rotunda, and people will come and visit as they do. But at the very end of that visitation, they will lock the doors, and only former presidents are allowed to gather there. I want you there, Richard Nixon. I want you there and I want you at my funeral. Well, Humphrey passes. Nixon's there in the rotunda gathering with some other presidents, and the then-seated president, Jimmy Carter. And it was the funeral began, and everybody's in the room, and Richard walks in the, the room, Richard Nixon... And instead of going to the front row where the president of the United States would be seated because he would be speaking at Hubert Humphrey's funeral, Jimmy Carter, then president, turned, walked to the back of the building, shook Richard Nixon's hand, and said, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. It was Time Magazine that said this was a turning point in Nixon's ordeal in the long, depressive wilderness. It was that moment and that gesture between Humphrey and then President Jimmy Carter of love and compassion. It was a gift, Time Magazine reported, that was pure, unadulterated grace, and it changed the rest of Nixon's life forever. You know what I know about Jesus? He loves to walk to the corner of the room and grab our hands and grab our hearts and say, come on with me. Welcome home. Come on with me, people that have been floundering on the outskirts of knowing Christ. Come to believe in Jesus Christ. Give him your life and your heart. And those of you that are living with old sins and guilt and tarnishment hanging over your t- your head, it's time to believe that God can make us whiter than the snow. The psalmist gave us these words in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, let these be words to you, slow to anger, abounding in his love towards your life. He will not always accuse, nor he will harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Amen? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are just dust. Jesus calls us to his presence. He calls us to come and sit and have breakfast with him because we matter so much to God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.